be in bad shape without it, wouldn't we? We would. We would. We'd be about like the folks Jeremiah is talking to tonight. If, uh, if you got your Bibles, I encourage you to open up the book of Jeremiah. And we're going to continue uh, our study through the book of Jeremiah. <clears throat> As we take a look tonight, we're going to begin in uh, Jeremiah chapter 9, picking it up at verse 12. And Jeremiah says this, Who is the wise man who may understand this? And who is he whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken, that he may declare it? Why does the land perish and burn up like a wilderness, so that no one can pass through? So the Lord answered and said, Because they have forsaken my law which I set before them, they have not obeyed my voice, nor have they walked according to it. But they have walked according to the dictates of their own heart, And after the Baals, which their fathers taught them. Therefore, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, this people, with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink. So we look at the scripture, Jeremiah begins, again, talking to a nation that is not all that much different from ours. So as we look at this, as we read these words, you could very easily substitute Israel, Judah for the United States, for you and I, for our nation. We are in what's known as a uh, post-Christian, we are a post-Christian nation. Our president has announced that we're no longer a Christian nation. That as a matter of fact, he said, you could even say that we're a Muslim nation. Exciting times, exciting times ahead. And as we look at that, it's the, the attitude, it's not just the president, not just him. Our world's like that. Just take a look around. That's how it is. And so the words of Jeremiah, you know, he's saying, Lord, why, why are all these hard things happening? Why are all these, these things going on? Why do we see all these cataclysms? Why do we see all these events happening? And God lays out several reasons. And I want you to take a look at those again in verse 13. It begins with, the Lord responds and says, because they have forsaken my law. The law, you'll notice the law, my law is, is capitalized. My, he's, he's talking about the first five books of Moses. He's talking about the word. You have forsaken the word. They have turned aside from making the word of God that foundation upon which their lives are founded. And folks, that's exactly where our nation is. We have forsook the word of God. At one time, for whatever reason, it was used in schools to teach. When I was going to school, I remember kids who were having a a hard time reading. And the teacher would actually encourage the kids to go home and read the Bible. Because that would help them with their ability to read. They could just sit down, relax, sit with their mom or dad and, and read the word. You couldn't tell a kid that today. That's how different the world is. God says, the reason why these things are going on, you reject my word. You've turned your back. You forsook the word of God. You forsook the law for the nation of Israel, which I set before them, and then they have not obeyed my voice. When we look at the the concept of the word, there are two words that deal with the word of God. One is the logos, 
which in John 1.1 1, 1 is attributed to Jesus Christ, right? In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. The Word was with God, the Word was God. There's another word that's attributed to the Word of God. It's the Rima. The idea behind Rima is that spoken word. That spoken word from the Lord, like when the Spirit nudges us, speaks to us, encourages us to shout in mailboxes, encourages us to do whatever God's laid on our heart. That's the Rima. So when the Lord says here, one, you forsook the word, two, you haven't obeyed my voice. Think about the nation of Israel. How many prophets did God send? How many servants did the Lord lead, have go to them? How many times did God call out for them to turn, to change their direction? Over and over and over again. But what happened to all those prophets? What happened to those servants of God? They were killed, treated shamefully, cast out, sent back home. Get out of here. So the Lord says, listen, here's here's what's gone. You turn your back on my word. You can no longer obey my voice, the rima, the spoken word, as the spirit guides, as the spirit leads. And then he goes on to say, nor have you walked according, but you have walked according to the dictates of your own heart. You're doing what you want to do. And you're not doing what God wants you to do. You know, the Bible's very clear. There's a way that seems right to a man. As men, we can all fall into the danger of saying, I can solve this problem myself. This is a little thing, I just go here or I'll go there. This is what I'll do or I'll work extra hours or whatever the case may be. We make our own plans, our own decisions on what we're going to do. And God says to the people, you're walking according to the dictates of your own heart and you're not even considering me. And we do that. We walk according to the dictates of our own heart. God says, if any of you needs wisdom, is there anybody who doesn't? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask, and I'll give it to him. The Bible says in Proverbs, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways do what? Acknowledge him. And what will he do? He'll direct your path. He'll guide you. But the Lord says here, they forsook the word, they're deaf to the voice of God, and they're walking only in the dictates of their own heart. What I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, the way I want to do it, if it feels good, do it. I mean, did any of that sound like the United States? Forsook the word of God, deaf to the voice of God, and I just want to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, focused on self Uh, continually so what does the lord say he says i will give this people or i will feed this people with wormwood the the hebrew word is lana literally it means it means uh bitter food or it's it's got the idea connotation of poison but where it's interesting in, in russian maybe you've heard the russian word for wormwood is chernobyl interesting interesting that in japan they have an abundance of radioactivity to eat Right now, the, 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 the things that have gone on there, the things that have gone on in Russia and those, do those things affect the entire world? Sure they do. And how would you construe the entire world? The entire world is whose eyes and heart are focused on God or whose eyes and heart are, are focused in the opposite direction. So God says, I'll give them wormwood to eat. 
and I'll give them gall to drink. Gall was like vinegar. Vinegar, anybody ever get really thirsty and want a big glass of vinegar? It just doesn't sound good. One time, Kathy and I had this for years, for like, I don't even know, maybe 10 years. We slept on a full bed. And it had this headboard. And it had these little, uh, uh, I don't know, bookcase slider things. You slide open on each side. And so we'd put our water up in there, Bible or whatever, you know, different things would be all strewn all over them. And uh, so we always bring water to bed. Kathy learned me to do that because I actually get thirsty at night. And I hate to get up, so I won't. I'll just lay there thirsty. So I put this, we put this water in her bed, and I go to sleep. Well, one night I go to sleep, I wake up thirsty, and I, I'm reaching up on the headboard to try to find that water. My hand comes upon this cup, which I assume is my water. That was not what it was. You did get up there. <laughs> I, I'm about to. So I take this water, and I'm real thirsty, you know, so I grab a hold of it, and I... I just set up a little bit, throw my head back, and slam it. Slam it. It was dish soap. Oh. <clears throat> Kathy was cleaning the headboard, and she just left the glass of dish soap on top of the thing. So I don't even know what time it is, but all of a sudden I'm screaming like she just tried to kill me. I'm hollering and jumping around. <clears throat> I'm coughing and... And Kathy, she, she wakes up, of course, because I wasn't very quiet. And she's like, what's the matter? What's the matter? And I say, ah, you're trying to kill me. <laughs> what is this water? And so she goes, oh, my gosh. And she runs over. This is hilarious. Calls poison control. She calls poison control. And she says, she, she goes and she, the guy answers, yes, yeah, so I can I help him? I, I, I need to know if my husband's going to be okay. He drank dish soap. He did what? He drank dish soap. Why did he drink dish soap? So she tells the story. Oh, I've had it on a glass. He said, is it Dawn? Apparently, if you drink Dawn, that's bad. But everything else, you'll live through. Might not want to, but you'll live through it all. Here the Lord says, listen, I'm going to give them gall, like vinegar. They're not going to enjoy it. It's not going to be good. It's not going to taste good. It's not going to be what they desire, but that's what they're going to have. Why? Is this God's idea of saying, I'll get them for not loving me? No. Listen, in the book of Revelation, the Lord says, I will shake everything that can be shook in the hopes that men will reach their hands up to me and I will save them. God's desire is that the whole, the whole 70th week of Daniel, the whole pouring out of the wrath of God on, on, a, on a Christ-rejecting world is not to punish as much as it is to, to call them that what they're doing is taking them the wrong direction and they need to radically change and reach out for the Lord. But the people don't hear. People don't listen. When times are good, we forget God. When times are hard, We call on his name. So he brings hard times. Bitter water to drink. But in verse 16, he he speaks beyond the Babylonian captivity. Listen to what he says. I will scatter them also among the Gentiles, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them until I have consumed them. In verse 16, he's speaking about sending them out to the nations. 
When, when they went into captivity, they just went to Babylon. But here, Jeremiah is looking into the future. What future? After the crucifixion. When Jesus said, their enemies are going to come around you and set an embankment against you. And they're not going to leave one stone upon another. And for the next 2,000 years, they would cease to exist. And wherever they went, what followed them? Sword. Every single country hated them. Couldn't stand them. Didn't matter where they went, whether Europe or Germany or Poland or Russia, it doesn't make any difference. Everywhere they went, they faced the same kind of persecution. Until God said, one day I'm going to call you back. And when I call you back, you'll come. And we find ourselves in that time. Began in 1948, but you know what still goes on today? They still have... Jews coming to Israel, moving, taking up residence in Israel. Still today, still they come, still entering into the land as a nation of Israel comes to life yet again. In verse 17 he says, So thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider and call for the mourning women, that they may come and send for skillful wailing, so that they can come. Let them make haste and take up a wailing for us that our eyes may run with tears and our eyelids gush with water. He says, listen, it's going to be so bad, just call for the professional wailers. Yeah, they had those then. Like, you know how sometimes you think, you wonder, you know, I wonder when I die if anybody will show up to my funeral. Well, in Israel, they had people you could hire. So you didn't have to worry about it. If you died and you wanted to make sure people wailed the fact that you were gone, you paid for them, they would come and wail. They would cry out. They would call out and, and, and carry on. And as they did that, as they did all that, then the people would, would say, wow, he must really have been loved. But they're a professional. They'd do anything for a buck. And so here the Lord says, go get them. You're going to need them. For the voice of wailing is heard from Zion. How we are plundered. We are greatly ashamed because we have forsaken the land, because we have been cast out of our dwellings. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O women, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth. Teach your daughters the wailing, and everyone her neighbor a lamentation. For death has come through our windows. He has entered our palaces to kill off the children. No longer to be outside. And the young men no longer to be on the streets. The Lord says, death is coming. The Bible tells us very clearly the wages of sin is death. Period. It's what every human being deserves. That's the wages we earn by the things we do, by the way we've lived our life. And the Lord's desire is to spare us from that, that we might follow him and enjoy that abundant life that Christ promises. But we would not. They would not. Their back was turned. So the Lord said, death is coming. He's going to come through your window at night. He's going to take your children. He's going to take your lives. Think back to how it was when Babylon came. At the age of 16, Daniel was taken from his mother and father, and he never saw them again. Not one time. And he's not the only one. 
The Babylonians would come in and they would take the children, the promising ones, the ones that seemed to have a good station in life, good understanding, and they would train them. And they would make them the wise men, the counselors of the, of the palace. Nebuchadnezzar would use them all the way down to, to Belteshazzar, Belshazzar. They're all going to use those kids that are trained up. But every one of those kids was taken from a family and mom and dad didn't go. Every one of them kids pulled out of the house by God's will. Every one of them. God said, this is the road you chose. This is a path you put yourself on. And this is the consequence of those choices. Most of us, don't we understand, hopefully we understand, that the choices we made yesterday are affecting us today? The things that we decided to do, the, the brilliance that we had, or stupidity, whatever it is, that that follows us. It still affects us. Again, I love that, that, that illustration that Francis Chan uses, that little dot on the string. Our life, this big, long string, stretching to eternity. Our existence on earth, a little tiny dot. But what we do in that little tiny dot affects eternity. So the Lord calls out to us over and over and over again. Walk right. Love mercy. Do justly. Be obedient. Follow the word. Trust God. But we do what we do. And at the end, we stand somewhere and shake our fist to God. Then we don't have the right. As as far as I'm concerned, God gave us fair warning. The problem is we weren't listening when we made those choices. And those consequences continue to follow. They came for the children of Israel. Their kids were taken. Some perished. Some were taken to the courts of the king. But you see, we look at it and we say, oh, poor kids. Maybe not. Maybe then poor kids left alone to grow to the age of accountability would have rejected God. And when they were slain by the enemies of of the children of Israel, they spent eternity with God. Now are they poor kids? Kind of changes everything, doesn't it? But our perspective is so wrapped around what we have here in that little dot. We make everything in that little dot so important. The house, the car, whatever. Whatever the, the, our views of success, everything in that little dot. We overemphasize all the wrong stuff. And we underemphasize the things we need to emphasize. And that is our relationship with God. God wants one thing from you, and only one. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Period. That's it. All the law and the prophets, Jesus said, are fulfilled in this. Love God. Love people. Makes it simple. You don't have to memorize Ten Commandments anymore. Just love. Love God. Love people. But here we see the judgment of God coming. Listen, 
Jeremiah for years would tell them judgment was coming and they would ignore him. For years the church has been saying judgment is coming and the world's heard it so much they can't hear it at all anymore. But that doesn't change it. Judgment comes. There's a judgment day. It will happen. It doesn't change the message that God wants us to share the same way. He wants us to be Jeremiah speaking the truth. In love. So the Lord said in verse 22, even the carcasses of men will fall as trash on the open field, like cuttings after the harvester, and no one will gather them. Bodies everywhere. Destruction. God has no glory in the destruction of the wicked, but that they would turn and live. But look at verse 23. So the Lord says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Or the mighty man glory in his might. Or the rich man glory in his riches. Because really those are kind of the things people chase, isn't it? That's what they chase. Oh, I'm a doctor. Don't call me mister anymore. Call me doctor. Dr. Jackie. Just doesn't have a very good ring to it. So I just couldn't do it. (laughs) I glory in how much I know. I can speak Greek and Hebrew at the same time. The Bible said, not many wise are called. Isn't that what the Lord said? He calls the foolish things to confound the wise. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, or the mighty man in his might. You know, that's one area our our country is on its ear. I don't know where we get off thinking we're the the big kid on the block anymore. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. It ain't what it used to be. Sooner or later, the two bullies are going to scrap. That's how it works. We may find out that we are not the king of the hill. Let not the mighty man glory in his might or the rich man in his riches But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. That's to be our focus. Not wisdom, not might, not riches. But that we would know Him. To know Him more deeply. To, mo- to know Him in a, in a greater degree. To understand who God is. And the beautiful thing is, as we look at this, God says, you need to know me. And what you need to understand when you look at the Old Testament is, this is God the Father speaking. He's the unknowable God. He's spirit. No man has seen God at any time. So how can we know the unknowable God? How do we come to understand that untouchable God? How do we come to understand who he is and what he wants? John tells us, the only begotten son reveals him to us. God declared that he is the great I am, right? Jesus declares that he is what? I am 
the bread of life. I am the resurrection. I am the door. I am the way. I am the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. All of those declaring to us who God is. What God desires. It's all seen in Jesus Christ. For he reveals almighty God to you and I. So that we can know him. He says exercising loving kindness. Here's the beauty of that word in the Hebrew. It's impossible to translate with one word. Loving kindness is what they most often use. But what that word means, as we take a look at it in the Hebrew, that word means covenantal loyalty, steadfast love, unfailing devotion, merciful affection. Takes all those words to describe that one word for loving kindness. That loving kindness of God is best reflected to you and I through Jesus Christ, His Son. For he is the love of God manifest in the flesh. God given to us. God shown to us. So don't worry about all these other things. But rather, focus on knowing the Lord. Knowing him. Understanding him. Solomon would write in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. He said, I returned and saw under the sun that the race does not go to the swift nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill. But time and chance happen to them all. Solomon would say, it's nothing new under the sun. He's kind of a depressing fellow to listen to. But one of the things he lays out is, the answer is not in all these things that we chase. All those things that Solomon chased his whole life. And at the end of his life, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon didn't say, you know what? It was great. Wine, women, and song. What could have been better? I lived my life to the full. That's not what he said. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It was all a waste of time. That's what he said. Love God. That's the sum of everything. Solomon comes to the end of Ecclesiastes. That's the only thing he can say. Live your life for the Lord and not for all this other junk. Not chasing all these other things. Not glory in wisdom. Not glory in might. Not glory in riches. But focusing on these things. Hold your finger here and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. And we'll see Paul kind of carry on that same concept. Beginning in verse 3 of chapter 3, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. As Paul begins his talk, where were their confidence? You might say that they gloried in their circumcision. They were circumcised. That means we're right with God, right? Doctor cut me. And now I am holy. Really? How's that work for us today? Not so good. What did God say to him over and over again? Stop worrying so much about the, <clears throat> the circumcision of your foreskin and worry about the circumcision of your heart. Because outwardly they're glorying in all that they could do externally. 
And they were avoiding the internal matters of the heart. So Paul says, here's how you know who are of the circumcision. It doesn't have anything to do with a knife or a cut. It just says, who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, buy more so. Let's do some bragging. Let's boast. Circumcised on the eighth day, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. There is no one more legalistic than the Pharisee. Paul was a, was a legalist extreme. Concerning zeal, hey, I persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. Kept the law to a T, at least the law according to the Pharisees. But what things were gained to me, I count loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, the mighty man in his might, the rich man in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that they know him, the Lord. What's he say? For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, garbage, trash, worthless, that I might gain Christ. And to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us, That we might become the righteousness of God by faith, placing our trust in Jesus Christ. To what end? In verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Paul didn't turn his back to suffering and hardship. He understood something. (laughs) I love, uh, Gene Edwards has this book called Tale of Three Kings. If you've read it, you'll you'll remember this, this phrase. But Gene Edwards says, when David spent 10 years hiding from Saul, being hunted by Saul. Gene Edwards says that God was killing the Saul that was in David. I like that. That the things David went through kept him from being like Saul, the one who was hunting him. Saul started good, right? He started well, finished in the tank. David, maybe he didn't start so well. I don't know, 10 years hiding from Saul, but that 10 years purged him of the Saul that was within him. So when I look at things that I suffer, which are minuscule compared to what David went through or compared to what Christ went through, whatever things I suffer, I look at them and say, God is carving out of me the garbage in me. And this is how he's doing it. Just like the pot, The potter working on that that pot of clay. 
You ever see them do it? They stick their hand deep down inside of that. Just consider that the scripture in Jeremiah says, you're the pot and he's the clay. And God sometimes rams his fist straight down your throat, reaches way down into your heart and pulls the garbage out. And it's not pleasant. But it's good. God doing that perfect work. So Paul says, not only do I want to know the power of his resurrection, that he can make life out of the garbage that I have, but the fellowship of his suffering, that he is developing in me the character, perseverance, hope, love, through the events and the things I go through in life. Fellowship of suffering. And what else does it mean? And Paul, in some small way, can say, I know a little bit, little bit, of what it was like for Jesus. So we sing all those songs, make me like you. We forget what he looked like. With the skin stripped off his back, hanging on a cross, hated and despised. When we're singing that song, that's not usually what we're focusing on at the time. We see the king, then you know, the crown sitting on the throne, glory all around. Yeah, I'd like to be like that too. But there's only one path to that place, isn't there? Through the cross. So Jesus said, if you want to follow me, what do you got to do? Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. That means we're going to be a part of fellowship of suffering, just as Paul declares here. But then I love this in verse 12. He says, not that I have already attained or that I am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Paul saying, Jesus, when he purchased me, when he bought my life, he had a plan. He's doing a work in me. My life has purpose. Psalm 139 says that in his book, they are all written. My days before there were any of them, God put them down. He said, you got a purpose for Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. So when I wake up tomorrow, I can treat it like just another day. Or I can wake up tomorrow and say, I got a purpose. There's something God designed me to do today. And I want to have eyes to see it. I want to have ears to hear it. I want to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. That means I want to do what God has purposed for me to accomplish today. I want to do what he's laid out in my heart. I want to do what he has in mind for me. But brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. Remember, we talked about the difference between comprehend and apprehend. Knowing in our mind and laying hold of it. And Paul says, listen, I haven't apprehended. I, I don't have it all worked out. I don't have it all solved. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which lie behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that I might know Him. None of that other stuff, but that I might know Him. So I press on. What's the prize? Man, the prize isn't streets of gold, and the prize isn't, 
you know, a new Harley. And the prize isn't some fancy house or some other thing. There's one prize. And you've got to want that one prize more than you want anything else in your life. That's to look into the eyes of my Savior and hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. You fulfilled my plan. Isn't that what Paul said at the end of his life? I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I fought the good fight. I finished the purpose. God has for me. Jeremiah's challenge to the to the children of Israel and for us today, his challenge to us is, hey, will you make that decision, that choice that says I'm I, I you know, all those other things are necessary, but we talked about it some time ago. I don't remember Wednesday, I get it's all a big fog in my head sometimes, but we talked about the fact that God wants us to seek first the kingdom of God. Seek ye for, it's, it's pretty clear. Not seek first uh, abundance of riches or wisdom or, or might or power or glory or anything else. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. And whatever I do, when I am raising my children, as I raise my children, what's he want me to do? Seek first the kingdom of God. In my raising of my kids, primary focus isn't they're happy. They're glad. They're chipper. So they know, they know Jesus Christ. The power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his suffering. That they learn to glory in him and not in anything else. That's seeking first the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean I don't spend any time with my kids and all I do is spend time at church. Church has nothing to do necessarily was seeking first the kingdom of God. Seeking first the kingdom of God means he's my first focus. He's the first thing I think of in the morning. The last thing I think of in the day. That I live for him. That I might know him. It's interesting as we look at... <clears throat> I, I kind of thought I'd go through chapter 10, but I'm not going to. But as we get through... And we'll, we'll pick up that last part of chapter 9 next time. But as we get there, right here in this pocket, all of a sudden, Jeremiah stops and says, Hey, here's the key. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, the mighty man glory in his might, the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he knows the Lord. Knowing him. That's why we spend time in the Word. That's why we come together on Sunday night. It's why we get together Sunday morning. It's why we get together Wednesday night. It's why we have a men's study and women's studies and couples studies. It's why we have all the stuff going on that we have going on. It's not just so that I can make my life chaotic. It's so that we have opportunity to know Him. And one of the things we discover from the study this morning is God holds us responsible to use that time. We stand before the Lord and we say, God, you know, yeah, that's true. All that stuff was going on, but I was too busy. It's not an excuse. God said to the nation of Israel, you had the book of Daniel. You could have read it. 
The answers were all there. He would say the same thing to us. You have the word of God. You have opportunity. So he holds us responsible to know him. To understand him. To draw close. And to use that little dot in our life. To make a difference for eternity. Amen. We're going to close in a time of prayer. So I just invite you. If the Lord lays on your heart. You'd like to to pray. We have an opportunity to pray. We're just going to pray until we stop. And then we'll stop. And Sunday night service will be over. But uh, as long as we're praying. As long as God's spirit is moving. We're going to continue to pray. And I encourage you. A lot of things going on in the body. A lot of. A lot of people that need prayer, a lot of opportunity. I encourage you to step out in faith and, and uh, meet, Lord, meet the Lord in this time and call upon his name. And uh, he'll change you and me and everything else in between. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for an opportunity to just call on your name, to be quiet before you, to be still and know that you are God. To realize that all these other things that we, that we chase and that we worry about, God, you say in Matthew chapter 6, I know what you need. You don't have to panic. I know what you need. Just seek me first. And all these things will be added unto you. And may our heart truly be that heart of Paul that says, man, the most important thing to me is not all this other stuff at once... I thought was important. Most important thing to me is that I might know him. The power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his suffering. That I might be conformed to his death. That I will be like Jesus. God, I know that's our heart. That's our desire. I pray that you help us move from the place where it's just words on our lips and it becomes action in our heart. Lord, that we would desire to allow you to move in us, through us, among us. Be glorified in this place, God. Be magnified as we just seek that blessing from you, Lord. We ask, God, that you would just move in a mighty way. And as we seek your face tonight, Lord, I pray, God, as you guide, as you direct this time of prayer, we pray, Lord Jesus, uh, not only would you be glorified, but that you would speak to your people and encourage us, Lord God, bring healing, bring a move of your spirit, do mighty things. As we just seek your face at this time, we come to you in prayer in Jesus' name.